Well, the, uh, this week, as we're sort of reading through the Bible, we're going to be reading through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and they're kind of thought of as the history of the Bible, even though uh, the whole Bible is a history. But history is uh, an important thing, and sometimes we don't. You know, we dis, tend to discard history because we feel like, well, someone's telling history from their perspective, and that is true. Whoever is telling history is telling it from their perspective, and it's good for us to be aware of that. But even though something is being told from someone's perspective, it doesn't mean that everything is completely made up. You, you can still try and figure out for yourself what, what you think of it. And our hope with the Bible is that there, there's maybe some value in it, being a, a history that just some person is telling with their own agenda, but it's written over such a huge amount of time with so many different people writing it, you would get a lot of different perspectives but but that's not really our hope when we're reading through the Bible. Our, our hope is that God is cluing us in, giving us history uh, from his perspective. And, and the reason why he's writing it down, protecting it, and trying to tell history from his perspective is because he wants us to know him. And he wants us to have the freedom that comes from knowing him. As Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Well, what we are reading today, we're going to look at something at the end of Second Kings. And we actually started in verse 3, but I think I'm just going to go ahead and start at the beginning of the chapter. It says, when King Hezekiah heard this, uh, what it is that he heard was that the money that he had given to the king of Assyria didn't appease him and that the king of Assyria is still planning on attacking him and really ridiculed uh, the nation, King Hezekiah, and, the, and God. It says he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, and what tore his clothes and put on sackcloth means is that he sort of went into mourning, or and it's also a... a a mourning that, that takes into account the need for repentance. And he went into the temple of the Lord. He, he went to that place where God had promised that his presence would be with them. As we've been reading through with Moses, uh, God's presence was there with them in the wilderness. And, and remember, our God had said to Moses, look, I'll, I'll bless you. I'll let you go into the land, but my presence is not going to go with you. And Moses says, no, we can't go forward without your presence with us. And so God said, okay, my presence will go with you. And the promise of the presence of God was that he would dwell in the tabernacle. And now they've built a, a temple to him. Solomon did. And so he goes to the place where God has promised to be. And he sent Elikim, the palace administrator, Shubna, the secretary, and the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the, the prophet Isaiah uh, was the person who had come to be known as, as God had given them, not just his presence, but he had given them a person that would speak 
uh, his word to them. And the words of those prophets of Isaiah, this story is actually repeated almost verbatim in Isaiah, and we'll read this later. So he wants to go to God's presence. He wants to know that God is with him, and that he's in this time of distress, he's about to say, and he he needs to know that the presence of God is there. He's taking comfort or seeking to, to address the problem by finding the presence of God and seeking out what God has to say about it. And it says, they told him, Isaiah, this is what Hezekiah says, this is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them, the, the the deliver them is kind of inferred. What, what he actually just says is that there is no power. And it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore he prayed, therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, he will hear a certain report, and I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Now, what Hezekiah is doing is he's saying, I'm in a time of distress. And nations come into time of distress. Regions come into time of distress. Right now, the entire world is in a time of distress. And people feel that distress in different ways. But what we see in this history is that here's this person who's in charge, who has power, and as he senses this distress, he seeks to address it by seeking out where is God, at trying to go down this journey of trying to figure out where is God, is God here? And then if he's here, I need to hear from him, I need to hear what he has to say. Now the, the story, which we'll get to in a second, which we already read, was the rest of the world or the servants of king of Assyria basically ridicule that idea. And they say, you know, look, this religion is nothing more than just a bunch of mumbo jumbo that's just meant to deceive the masses is what they basically say. And so that's something that, that we think through because as we hit distress, what God is saying is, is what you're looking for, the best way to address that situation is to start looking around and trying to figure out where is God in this whole thing, and, and what is God saying, and what is God doing, and what is God's plan in this whole thing, and wrestling through that, and, and it's not something that you just... Those types of things aren't things that you come to with utter confidence. It's something that, that grows. It's something that you seek out. But there's a journey that's set out that, that's there in our life of trying to figure out where is God 
is he here? And then what does he have to say? And what's he doing? And how does that relate to all the stress that I'm coming under? And there's another side of the population of people who just feel like, listen, what, what does that have to do with anything? How's that going to address any problems? How's that going to solve any any of this stress that we're going through. The only way to address it is by gaining power, using power, consolidating power, jumping into this power game, and by power, enforcing a solution that is pleasing to me or, or solving it with power in a way. And so what the Bible is talking about is giving a history where usually history is written with this kind of philosophy or thrust in mind. Here's what this person did to gain power. Here's what this person did with power. And here's what this other person did then to gain power from that person. And then that person fought that person. And then that person gained power. And then another person came up and got power and got power more than him and then put that person down. And then, and it's really just this vicious cycle of power eating power, eating power. And God talks about that. And he says, look, this cycle that the king of Assyria in, in seeking out power and trying to establish what he wants, what, what, what he feels will bring him peace, what he is going to be his protection, it, it pushes you into this vicious cycle that we see that when we look at history from the human perspective, it always just says the same thing. And God says, this is going to result in no different. It live by the sword, die by the sword. If you're in this, this vicious circle of trying to gain power, it, you're going to be consumed by it. But he's putting out here, but there's another option. You don't have to jump into this. And that's what Hezekiah is coming to the place of saying when he says there is no power, what he's really saying is, is I'm not gaining anything from jumping into this game that everyone's playing with power. And what he's talking about is it, it goes back into the history a little bit. It was hard to know because there's so many facets of this story that are really interesting, and we don't have time to talk through them all. But, but where the how the story goes is that God brought Israel into the land and gave them a, a wonderful place to live not because they deserved it, but he raised them up and gave them a king after his own heart, which we'll read in the story of in First and Second Samuel. And then David, he had a son, Solomon, and Solomon reigned. And that reign between David and Solomon was sort of the height of history for Israel. But after Solomon, the kingdom just sort of broke into civil war. And there was 12 tribes. Uh, it's a little bit like the state system that, that we have, but different, but, but similar in some respects. And what happened was the northern 10 tribes decided that they were tied. They, they didn't really care about what God had said concerning David. What God had promised with David was that he would send a savior who would be, be king uh, 
in the way that David is. And they said, look, we don't really need that. We're going to, we feel like we've been oppressed by that. And we're going to just go it on our own because we think we can do better just by ourselves. And they, in no uncertain terms, said basically what the king of Assyria has said, that this is all just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And what we really need is to just consolidate power under self. So they took the majority of the state. But there was one tribe, Judah, and then part of the tribe of Benjamin, and they formed uh, a separate state called Judah. And so there was the northern tribe, which took the name Israel, the southern tribe, which took the name Judah. And, and what happened was, is that after a bit, the king of Israel decided to reunify the country and to take back over this southern tribe. And what he did to do that was he created an alliance with another country. He consolidated power. He gained as much power. He, he, he grabbed and, in his mind, created the power that was needed to accomplish what it is that, that they felt like they needed to accomplish, which was to subjugate this southern kingdom. And Hezekiah's father was the king during that time. And what Hezekiah did, his father did, to address the distress that was coming on him from this, this power play that had happened, instead of doing what Hezekiah did of just going and figuring out what the Lord is doing and what God is doing, he instead, again, just said, that's just a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo. I'm going to push forward and I'm going to go out and give the king of Assyria a bunch of cash and have the king of Assyria attack his brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom that were trying to take control of them. And what the king of Assyria did, he said, great. He took the money and he came down and he completely annihilated all their brothers and sisters and actually removed them from the land and they've never been heard of since then. The family that they had was torn apart by this and taken away and never heard from again. And that's why we <clears throat> oftentimes associate the name Jewish with Israel, because all that was left was the tribe of Judah, which is Jewish. And so in trying to solve the problem with selling out to this structure of power, it really took away the freedom. It, it, you might say it saved him, but it really didn't because the king of Assyria ended up being more of a tyrant than his brothers and sisters would have been ruling over them. All he did was say, look, the power of the northern tribes is going to take us over, but now I'm just going to sell out to what ended up being a harsher uh, person in charge, which was the king of Assyria. And then all that, that selling out and that loss of freedom, all got transferred down to the next generation, and they just ended up with a situation of distress, a loss of freedom, and it was all due to the consequences of the previous generation selling them out. But Hezekiah, his son, it says that, the, that God was with him, 
and that he prospered in everything that he did. And, and what it means by saying that is, is that as Hezekiah started going out and doing things, he started to notice that God was with him, or he started down this journey of when things started working out, he, this would work out, or he would get some money here, or this would be successful there. He, he, he started to evaluate it and see that what has happened, my power doesn't account for what has happened, that there's this gap there, that, that something was accomplished that, that was in my evaluation, when I look at it, I don't think I was actually able to do that. And he started him down this journey of asking himself, I, I have this feeling that God is here with me, and what God is doing is exercising his power on my behalf. I'm starting to sense that. And as he started to sense that God was there and that God was using his power on his behalf, what that resulted in, and some people would say, well, that's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. But for Hezekiah, it made an actual difference. And the difference that it made was it gave him the courage to think freely. It gave him a sense of freedom. And even though he knew the king of Assyria was more powerful than him, it gave him the courage to step up and to take back the freedom that he felt like God was giving, the sense of freedom that he felt in knowing that God was with him. And as he started to see that the power of God was alive and here in the world, that God wasn't just sitting up there by himself, that God was actually down involved, and he didn't have it any more figured out than any of us. But he went down that road of trying to figure this out. And, see, and as he went down that road, it gave him freedom. And the price of that freedom was whenever anybody throughout all of history starts to assert freedom, the powers to be pushed back. And it creates this very intense situation. We read about that as God was bringing freedom into the life of Israel from Egypt. There are many other uh, historical accounts aside from the Bible. When we start exercising, demanding, asking for, or just acting as though we are free, the people that are playing this power game, they always push back. And it creates moments of great distress. Uh, Hezekiah describes with that moment, and it's a pretty good description of what these moments are when someone tries to senses a, a freedom that God has given. And, and as we sense that freedom that, that we should have, and we start to act that out or be free, when those powers push back on us, he describes that situation as a day of distress, rebuke, disgrace, or, or rejection is another word for it. And into that conflict, he goes. Now, what happened was the king of Assyria brought all his power down. And when he was faced with sort of that boot of power that 
Assyria had that just came in and just engulfed around them and just made their presence known and the, the sense of their power being imposed on them as this little country. Hezekiah just completely uh, caved under that and said to the king of Assyria, Look, I'm sorry. I should have never have done that. I'm sorry for, you know, it, it, was, it, it was probably sincere. He just said, look, I should have never have, like, exerted my freedom. You just tell me what I need to pay, and I'll pay it. And the king of Assyria gave him an amount. He paid that amount. And as all it did was just embolden that system of power to say it, they, it, it showed them their vulnerability, and it just wanted to crush him. It didn't let up. And that's why Hezekiah is saying, there's no hope in this power game. There's no hope in this idea that, that you know, here's my power, here's your power, let's fight it out. Now I've got power, and I need to go get help from someone else, and then they're going to work this struggle of power in terms of humanity, he says there's, it just results in distress. But he said, from my life I've seen, I've started to feel, I went down this journey that, that, that gave me the freedom that I had to begin with. Then uh, uh, it started with me starting to understand that, that God's here, he's alive, he's with me. He, he's not just up there, he's actually down involved. And, and so instead of waffling on this and selling out, which he did. And look, all of us are going to do that. When we're stressed and the power comes down on top of us, we're all going to crush under that. It's okay. God's not asking for us to have never sold out. God's not asking for us to have never caved under the pressure. He understands the pressure. He's not looking at us negatively. He, his word, his first word to Hezekiah is, look, don't be afraid. I understand what this power is saying to you. I understand that it's gathered. I understand all that, but I'm here. And something is happening here. And the freedom that you sensed earlier in your life as you started seeing that the things that, that, that you were prospering in were beyond your power, and you started to attribute it and see that it was actually, it was a gift that I had been giving you freely, and that along with that gift, and, and you seeing that my power is not just up there, it's not just mumbo jumbo, that you're seeing these real instances of it being acted out. He says that power, that that sense of freedom that I put into your heart that came from seeing me. God says, that's what I'm doing. I'm making that real. And I'm going to take away this power that has been over you. And he also says to him, basically, you don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to join into this in any type of way. I'm going to handle it. Now, the next thing that, that we're going to look at is the, the words of, uh, those are the words of God, uh, do not be afraid. Uh, I'm going to give you freedom. 
But here's the words of the oppressor, the person who has the power, the country in power. And here's the other way of thinking about things. And it's a little bit telling. It says, Uh, verse 5. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, we're looking at verse 10. Here's what the commanders of the king of Assyria say to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and will you be delivered? Did the God of those nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozen, Haran, Rezim, the people of Eden, who were in Talazar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lar, Seravim, Hannah, Eva? Now, He's saying the same thing that lots of people say about religion. Lots of people say about this idea that why are we looking to see what God is doing or whether God is here? That's irrelevant. What we need to look at is who has power and how we are going to step up and address that power and gain power for ourselves and jump into this game and use power for what we consider to be good. The king says there's a of Assyria, the servants say, look, we understand what's being said there. And the message of religion that we're using power for good, but everyone else is using power for bad. He says, they're basically saying, look, power is power. And when they say that it's all just a bunch of mumbo jumbo, that is being used to deceive people. It's not just a commentary on God. What they're really commentating on is saying, this is how power works, and this is how people in power work. And they had actually said this exact same statement in the previous chapter. They said it, though, to the people of Judah about Hezekiah. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. And now they say to Hezekiah, don't let the God who you think is above you deceive you. What what they're talking about isn't about Hezekiah or God. They're talking about this is what power does. Whatever power there is, whether you think it's good or bad or however it is you want to evaluate it, let's just speak the truth here. Here's what power does. Power will say whatever it thinks it needs to say to get you to do what it is that it wants you to do. Power will figure out whatever it is that you want to hear and will say it to you if it thinks that by saying it to you, it will be able to capture you and take you uh, into its fold and use you in the way that it wants to. And what they're saying and what God gets upset about and God calls blasphemy here at the end that we'll get to, is they're saying, if there is a God, if that God has power, 
then that God is, is acting, that power that God has acts in a way that, that is no different than the way that our power acts. There's no difference between the way that God administers power and the way that everyone on earth administers their power. And God takes huge offense at that. <laughs> I was, uh, and, and, you know, look, the reason why they're saying this even out loud, it's one thing that, that that's what they do. When we're in power, We'll just say whatever we need to say to deceive people, to be able to subjugate them and to get them under our power. To get them to do what we want them to do rather than what they may or may not do. We don't want to leave it up to their free will. We don't want to leave it up to their choice. We want to come in and intervene into their life with these words to pull them in, to deceive them so that we will be able to determine the choice that we want them to make. And the reason why this is a powerful argument that they give is because we all know that it's true. I was just last night, I don't know why, I just thought, oh, maybe I'll watch a little bit of news. That was probably a mistake, but I just turned, I couldn't really get, the, the news thing didn't work because I was trying to find some sort of free news, but the only thing that popped up on the screen at first was just the news network's name and then the slogan underneath it, which was, we care. And the first thing that popped into mind was, do you care? Or have you paid a lot of money to figure out that like the people that you think you can influence to come and watch your show will be influenced to watch it if you put the slogan up, we care. Lots of people are changing slogans right now. Lots of people are making different statements right now. Are they, they could have made it two, three months ago. It's up to you to decide when you look whether or not what they're saying is true. Does power just say whatever it thinks it needs to say to be able to influence us to do what it wants us to do? And the question is, is that what God's doing? Look, if a God exists, by the definition of God, God doesn't need to give us lip service. He has all the power he needs to force us to do whatever it is that he wants to do. If there's one thing you'd have to say about God, the, the one thing that should be obvious, even if you don't believe in God, just by the very definition of God... is he's not putting, using his power to take our freedom away. He's giving us way more freedom than any of us think would even be good. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole problem that we have with the concept of God's, how can there be this God that's so good and yet give us so much freedom to do so much evil? 
I mean, you can question that, but the one thing you can't question is, is God's obviously not taking our freedom away. He's giving it to us. And what God says, it says, the son of Amos sent a, uh, Isaiah, sent the message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord your God, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I have heard your prayer. God says his first words to him, don't be afraid. I, I'm here. I've got a plan that's going. His next words are, is they say that they hear you. And just by giving lip service to you, that, that that's hearing you. People aren't hearing when they're just giving lip service to try and influence you to shop on their place or, or to continue spending cash on them or to continue choosing to go to them. And, and they just give That's not hearing. God says, I don't have to give lip service. I don't have to hear, but I want you to know I hear you. And when we're going through times of distress, when there are these struggles that are going on, it's a value. God's not asking for us to wholeheartedly come his way. He knows where we're going to go with all that. But it's a value to, in some small way, in whatever way we can, to start asking ourselves, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And to start asking ourselves, God, do you hear us? Now let me close by just reading the end of, or at least the end of this scene, which is the end of the chapter. It says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 people. We've talked about that before. What's this angel of the Lord? Well, whatever it is, it puts it into singular terms. It says 185,000 people in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp, withdrew, returned to Nineveh, stayed there. One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Amalek, Sherazar, killed him with the sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Ashadon, his son, succeeded him as king. <laughs> What God had been pointing to, he says, well, I can't find the verse in my Bible, but what the verse says is, that he says, the reason why I'm going to do this is for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And when he brings up David, what he's bringing up is, again, this promise of Jesus that Judah had been holding to ever so tentatively that, that God would send someone who would reign in, in the line of David.
And what he's talking about is Jesus, or that's what I believe. And that's what the writers of the New Testament believed and what Jesus says. But what that means is he's pointing to something. And he's saying the greatest indicator that I am with you is if I actually come down and become one of you and walk among you as you walk and feel this stress being imposed on me in the same way that you feel it. And as Jesus lived freely, he didn't make compromises like we do, and that's okay. God's okay with that. But when Pilate said, don't you know that I have the power over you to kill you? He was said that because he was upset because Jesus didn't say a word. He just was standing there in silence. When Jesus spoke, he said, whatever power you do have has been given you to you by God. What we have with Jesus is, and a it wasn't just something for people that were there during the life of Jesus to enjoy for them to be able to better see how it is that God is among us and he is with us and that he isn't just sitting up here. He is here. And, and even though Jesus was killed on the cross by the powers around him, and even though there was no change in those powers, they were evil, they remained evil. In spite of it all, God raised him from the dead. In other words, God was able to give life and give freedom in the midst of the worst of what everyone was able to do. And that's the hope that we're clinging to with Jesus. But, but it wasn't something that was just for people at that time. What it is, is it's now a history that we read. And what the Bible is, is it's, it's not just a dead history that we read of events that happen. It's that God is speaking to us through this. And so to tie it up, what, what I feel like God's saying to us is when we start going through stress and not knowing how things are working out, and we start feeling rejection, distress. We start feeling as though we're not sure if we're going to be overcome. There's a benefit in taking a look to see where is God. There's a benefit in asking ourselves what God is doing. And as we do that, if we look at Jesus, it will help us understand more clearly what God is doing. The point that we see here at the end of the story is that what the people experienced was that God said it, and then it happened the way that God said. And if they hadn't have prayed, if they hadn't have been on this journey, that would have all passed by them. But now they had this moment in time 
where something that was impossible was said and then it happened. And if they hadn't have prayed, if they hadn't started down that journey, the impossible would have still happened. Everything would have happened, but they wouldn't have known that the impossible was stated by God as happened. They would have just chalked it up to something else. If God is alive, if he's here, if he's actually involved in us, if the story of Jesus is true, that he cares about us so much that he actually became one of us, and if he was so concerned about our freedom and giving us freedom that he allowed us in our freedom to actually kill his son, God's not taking our freedom away. God's hearing us. God just wants to be with us. And if we start looking for it, what God's saying is, you'll start seeing it. And it won't just be a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It'll be real-life experiences where you know, I should have never been saved here, but God saved me. And as we grab a hold of that and gain confidence in that and grow in that, the result of that is that it throws off all the yokes that are on us. Even if people are still pressing us with power, we have another option. And that option is, God, what are you doing? And God is doing something. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we just lean into you, and we just ask you, Lord, to secure the freedom that you've given us. Help us to walk in that freedom that you've given us. Pray that you would give us reprieve from anything that's pressing against us to take away. Don't let us be deceived. Forgive us for the way that we constantly sell out. But Lord, we just pray that we would be able to walk in, that we would be able to see, that we'd be able to take confidence, that we would know that you're here with us and that you're acting on our behalf. And we just want to be thankful for that, Lord. And we want to wait and see as what you say becomes the reality. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.